There are certain things that you and I are simply unable to do. Uh, We are creatures, and we are not gods or God, so we cannot know everything. We cannot be everywhere. We can't even know half of all there is to know. We can't even be in two places at once, much less be everywhere all the time or know everything there is to know. And though that might frustrate us as to- at times, right? our, our limits sometimes as creatures are frustrating, <clears throat> there's no shame or guilt in them. We're not supposed to be able to do those things. Nobody requires us to do those things. We were not made to do those things. <clears throat> but there are things that we are unable to do that do come with shame and guilt. Because we ought to be able to do them, but we can't. Or at least, we couldn't. Before you were a Christian, you were not able to fulfill God's commands, God's law. It was not possible for you. If you're not a Christian right now, even if your friends and neighbors think that you're a decent person... It's still true about you that you are not able to fulfill God's law. Even if you take an unbelieving Jew, a Jew who does not believe in Jesus the Messiah, they may be devoted to the law of God, but they cannot keep it. They cannot fulfill it. And that not only comes with shame and guilt because we know we ought to be able to do those things, but to hear that we cannot do those things, can sound quite offensive to us. We're insulted that somebody would say that there's something we cannot do. What do you mean I can't? We like to think that, at least in theory we could, if we tried, even if we don't particularly want to try. But the reason we cannot... keep God's law, or could not before we were Christians, is because it is not possible to fulfill the law of God unless you are living by the Holy Spirit. And that's not a conclusion that I have reached by observation or speculation. That is the teaching of the Bible. Even as Christians, we are often more optimistic about what fallen human nature can accomplish than the Bible gives us reason to be. But we don't have a choice between what we think and what the Bible says. Once we understand what the Bible says, we need to get our thinking in line with it. So what does the Bible say about our inability to fulfill the law apart from the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning in Romans 8, verses 5 to 8. When uh, we were going through Romans chapter 7, there was a lot about the law and our inability to keep the law in our sinful nature there. And there is more about that here in Romans chapter 8. And it's not here merely for its own sake, but to highlight the significance of of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So, 
Let's see what the Bible has to say about all this. Let me read for us verses 5 to 8 of Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, obviously, when we look at verse 5, we are picking up Paul's thought in the middle of an argument. This is not the beginning of what Paul wants to say. This is in the middle of something that Paul wants to say. So it's helpful for us to be reminded of what Paul has been saying recently. At the end of chapter 7, he was expressing his own frustration and angst over the fact that in his body, in his flesh, though he has a love for God's law in his heart, though he submits to God's law in his mind, in his body, in his flesh, he often ends up doing something else, the very things that he hates. And he cried out to God, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And this is not the experience, uh, I argued, of somebody who is not yet a Christian. This is the experience of, of Paul as a Christian. And this is probably something you have experienced, at least at some point in your life, if not often throughout your life, if you are a Christian. This frustration with the fact that you are not able to live up to what you think you ought to be doing, to what you know you want to be doing, to what you desire to do, because you are still... Uh, locked in this battle with your sinful flesh, with the sin that dwells inside of you. And so we're in this frustrating situation. But in chapter 8, Paul says there is another side to that story, though. That part of the story is true, but it's not all that is true. Because even though you have sin dwelling in you, still, as a Christian, you now also have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You are a new creation in Christ. You are members of the new covenant. You have received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so at the beginning of chapter 8, he says, that's why there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Though you continue to struggle and wrestle with your own sin, God is not going to condemn you for those things. He has already forgiven you in Christ. He's already made you a new creation in Christ. He set you free from the power of sin, though not yet from the presence of sin. And He's done this, verse 2 says, um, by the, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So you've been set free from the power of sin, from the power of death, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how did God do that? Verse 3 and 4 says, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, God sent His Son to be born as a man, to take our sin upon His shoulders, and in His death on the cross, God pronounced Judgment pronounced condemnation against our sin on Jesus' shoulders to deal with our sin once and for all so that it would be 
appropriately judged and dealt with so that we could be truly forgiven, not have our sin just winked at, but truly wiped away and paid for. And he did that, verse 4 says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, God sent his Son to die for us so that we can receive the Spirit and be set free from sin and death, not so that we could then go on sinning as much as we want, not so that we could say, hey, great, we're now free from the law, so let's break the law with impunity. No, He sent His Son and sent His Spirit so that now we would live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and by the power of the Spirit, fulfill the law we once had no ability to keep. So the question on the table when we come to verse 5 is, why is it that God had to do all that so that the law could be fulfilled in us? Why is it that it's only those who have the Holy Spirit in them who have any chance, any hope, any promise of actually fulfilling the law that God has given to us? Another way to say that would be, why does it take the death of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit for us to live the way God created us to live in the first place? Why does it take so much? Why does it take all that? That's what verses 5 to 8 are explaining. So here's the first thing Paul says. Where you set your mind makes a difference, a huge difference. Verse 5, for those who live according to their flesh, to be according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Paul's making very clear what is clear all throughout the Bible, which is there are only two ways you can go. There are only two options. There's not 50 options. There's not even three options with one of them being sort of a a neutral zone. You are either living according to the flesh or you are living by the spirit. Those are your two options. And those who are living according to the flesh, and that's not referring to your physical body, that's uh, referring to your fallen human nature, your sinful nature. That's who you are uh, or who you were outside of Christ. Uh, Before you were a Christian, that's who you were. If you're not a Christian, this is what characterizes you, defines you. You are... uh, Like all the rest of us, you were born into the world in sin with a sin nature because our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and rebelled against God. And so none of us starts with a clean slate. None of us starts like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We all come into the world tainted and broken by Adam and Eve's fall by their sin. And so all of us, by default, live according to the flesh. Live according to that sinful nature that we have all inherited, that we have all received. And when we live according to the flesh, Paul says, then we set our minds on the things of the flesh. What things are those? Those are the kind of things that Paul lists as the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 that we read earlier. He said the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So even if you don't find your particular sins on the list, you get the idea of the kinds of things he's talking about. And when you're living according to the flesh, those are the kinds of things that characterize your life, and those are the kinds of things that fill your mind. Those are the kinds of things that you have set your mind upon. Uh, And it's not just uh, what we often think of as sort of the, the, the big bad ones, right? Like sexual sin, or idolatry, or sorcery. He also mentions things like fits of anger, and strife, and enmity. All those things are works of the flesh. Those are the kinds of things that Christians still do, right, at at times when we sin. But Paul's saying those who are not Christians, those who don't have the Holy Spirit, those are the kinds of things that dominate their lives and their minds. And not just those actions, but also the way of thinking that justifies those actions. So someone who lives according to the flesh, who sets their minds on the things of the flesh, not only is going to do those kinds of things, but is also probably going to say things, at least to themselves, like, well, it's my body, I can do with it what I want. That is a mindset of the flesh that justifies sinful behavior. Or thinking, well, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, it can't be wrong. Yes, it can. But that's the way that the flesh thinks in order to justify its own behavior. What? And if your mind is set on those things, and if your mind is bent on justifying those things, then is it any wonder that someone who's in the flesh, living according to the flesh, set on uh, their mind set on the things of the flesh, can't fulfill God's law? How could they fulfill God's law if that's what their minds are set on? By contrast, Paul says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That, of course, would include the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And uh, the kinds of things that, that flow from those fruits. So, The person who is living by the Spirit, whose mind is set on the Spirit, is not fixated on how they can find another way to sin, how they can justify their sin. They're thinking, how can I I love the Lord who saved me? How can I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I love my enemies? The mindset on the flesh, or excuse me, the mindset on the Spirit finds a way to have joy even in the midst of trials because it's... The mindset on the Spirit is meditating on the promises of God, on the presence of God, on the character of God. The mind that is set on the Spirit is uh, filled with peace because it knows what God has done on its behalf. It knows what God has accomplished. It knows what God has promised. And again, we know from Romans 7 that this is not as black and white as it sounds, right? We don't always live up to what it ought to mean for the Spirit to be at work in our lives. Uh, We don't do that fully. We don't do that uh, perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. Romans 7 makes that really clear. 
But there is a contrast. There is a difference. And sometimes it's hard to see it in our own lives. Because the enemy loves to get us fixated on the things we're not doing or the things we know we've done wrong. And so sometimes we have to ask a friend or a church member to help us sort of get out of our own head and give us perspective and and just say, do you you see any evidence of of God's work in me? Like, have you seen God change me? Have you seen, and I'm not asking you to flatter me or whatever. I'm just really struggling to, to, you know, to have confidence that, that God is really doing something in me. And uh, oftentimes what will happen if you ask somebody that is they will say, I can't believe that you don't see it. All the rest of us see it. And we know you're not perfect. We see that too, right? But, but let, me, let me just remind you of some of the ways that I've seen um, the Lord's work in your life. I, I remember just personally um, really struggling with some of these things when I was in college and going to my pastor um, and just, you know, feeling broken and, 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 and not even sure if I belonged to the Lord and, and him praying over me, you know, Lord, help Matt see what everybody else sees, right? And that was not because I was some super awesome Christian or anything like that. Believe me, I was not. But uh, I was still very immature and proud and, and all the rest. But the evidence of the Lord's work was, was there, and he had seen it, and my friends had seen it, but sometimes I had a hard time seeing it. So if you, you know, if you hear these things and read these things about what, the, what it looks like when you're uh, living by the Spirit, and you're thinking, I just don't know that that's me, ask somebody who knows you well and loves you, who you know will give you an honest response, um, and, and, and let them help you see um, what everybody else sees. So um, these are the kinds of things, right, that, that the person who is living by the Spirit, whose mind is set on the Spirit, set their, sets their minds on the Scripture, the promises of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God, all those kinds of things. All right, now, um, these two different mindsets, unsurprisingly, lead to two uh, very different ends. All right, verse 6 Paul says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you set the mind on the flesh and the things that the flesh desires, the things that the flesh promotes, the things that the flesh attempts to justify, where do those things lead? Naturally, they lead to death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. If you're focused on the flesh and not on the spirit, you're rebelling against God, and rebellion against God never leads to life. It always leads to death and destruction. But on the other hand, the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace, both because when the spirit comes to dwell inside of you, he gives you life. He gives you that gift of of new life, new creation um, that comes from God through uh, the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and is applied to us by the Spirit. He brings the peace of God, right, that comes when our sins have been forgiven and we've been reconciled to Him. Uh, We now have peace with Him. That comes from the Spirit, and the Spirit uh, promotes life, true life, fellowship with God, and peace in our lives. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit's presence in our life. So, two different Ways you can have your mindset, two different 
destinations, two different consequences, if you will, of uh, setting your mind on those uh, two different things, the flesh or the spirit. And then finally, Paul spends a couple of verses uh, really drilling down on what the mind that is set on the flesh looks like so that we will fully understand why it is that someone who remains in the flesh, who does not have the Spirit, is not going to fulfill God's law. And, and here's what he says, verse 7. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now, not everybody who's in the flesh appears hostile to God on the outside. Right? So this can seem to be a little out of sync with our experience. We think, well, I can think of a lot of people who don't seem to be angry at God, but they also don't seem very interested in God. And uh, for those folks, I, I think what you would find if you had the opportunity to see it based on what Paul says here, is if you began to talk to those people who seem just indifferent about God, and you began to press upon them the claims of God, you know you have a creator who you're going to have to give an account to. And you know that he's aware of everything you do and everything you think and everything you say, and he's aware of all your motives and he requires you to live this way and not that way. And, and, and then you bring in Jesus and what Jesus has done and how we ought to turn from our sin and follow him. And, and you begin to press those claims upon them. Probably one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to have their eyes open and they're going to repent and they're going to trust in Jesus. Or they're going to start to get mad. Because there is within them, because they are sinners in the flesh, there is hostility in them toward God. And when it doesn't show up, that's probably just because no one's pressing the reality of God and the claims of God upon them. But when you do, when the scripture comes home to them, again, they have two choices. They can repent or they can get their fists up. And if they don't repent, they're going to get their fists up. They're going to be hostile. That's the only two options they have, right? The, he says, the mind of the son of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's not even possible for them to put themselves willingly under the law of God. They can't do it. Before you and I were saved, we couldn't do it. It is not within the power of a life dominated by the flesh, by our sinful nature. It is not within the power of that person to willingly submit to God's laws. Can't do it. Their nature is bent against it. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
It's, it's, just, it's not even possible. Their, their minds are so turned in the wrong direction. Their, their lives are so bent in the wrong direction that there is nothing that they can do to please God or earn His favor. This is why it simply does not, cannot work for anybody to try to earn God's love, God's favor, God's grace, God's salvation by things that they do. Your nature is so set against God that even when you try to do the things you know that God wants you to do, you end up doing it in a way that tries to bind God to you, that tries to make Him owe you things and be obligated to you. And even in doing that, you're not pleasing Him. You're rebelling against Him. You're trying to subdue Him to you rather than submitting yourself to Him. So this is why it, is, it was necessary for God to send His Son into the world in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin, to experience the condemnation deserved by our sin, so that being forgiven, God could give us His Spirit who would then set us free from these powers of sin and death and we would be born again and we would have a new nature and we'd be new creations with new hearts as the Old Testament promised in the New Covenant so that now with this new life and this new power within us, we would be able to please God. We would be able to submit ourselves to God's will, to God's word, to God's law. And we would be able to fulfill the law of God in ways it simply was not possible for us to do apart from Jesus and the Spirit. So if you're not a Christian, I, this is why you can't earn God's love. This is why you can't work for your salvation. This is why you can't do anything right, to uh, make God owe you something. This is why it is absolutely necessary not only for you to become aware of your sin, but to also become aware that there's no way you can do anything about it. <clears throat> it's, it's a problem that you cannot solve. And when you recognize it's a problem that you cannot solve, but that God has solved for you, that God has made a way for you to be saved through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, and when you cry out to Him and you call upon Him, then He takes over. He makes you new. He changes you. And if you are a Christian, right? We can't stop without at least tasting verse 9 a little bit. You, however, Paul says, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. It doesn't mean that you don't occasionally give in to the temptations of the flesh. Paul made that really clear in Romans 7 and in Galatians 5. The flesh and the Spirit are in opposition to one another. They fight against one another. We're in conflict. Often we choose the wrong thing. But if you're a Christian... Your life is not characterized and defined by the flesh. Your mind is not set on the flesh. If you're bothered by the fact that you give in to the temptations of the flesh, that's probably a good sign that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and that you are, in fact, a believer. It doesn't bother non-Christians, typically, that they're doing fleshly things, that they're doing sinful things. If you feel like you're in a battle, that's because you have the Spirit now. 
And that is who you are. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And that comes with a host of promises and reasons for hope that Paul will spell out for us in the next several verses. But the the point for us in these verses this morning is that apart from God's gift of the Spirit and apart from His work in us, we're not even able to start doing what God wants us to do. We just can't. We are utterly incapable when it comes to doing the most important things on our own. That's why we need Jesus. And that's why we need the Spirit. And that's why when people do notice the change that God has made in us, we can say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Let's pray.